The scripture reading this morning is going to come out of 2 Samuel chapter 23. It's going to be verses 1 through 7. Now these are the last words of David. The oracle of David, the son of Jesse. The oracle of the man who was raised on high. The anointed of the God of Jacob. The sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with an iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. Morgan read our text for us. He read part of it. I saved him because there's some names that are this long that we're going to read today. I told him I was going to get him off the hook today, and I'll fumble through them uh, later on. But turn your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 23, page 324. If you don't have your Bible, grab a black pew Bible, and we're going to be reading a lot of text today. So I think this will be helpful for you if you look at the text this morning. We're walking our way through. If you're visiting with us, you haven't been here in a while, or it's the first time to be here, we're walking through First and Second Samuel. There's a need for a king in Israel. We're in chapter 23. We're about to finish up. There's at least 73 psalms in the book of Psalms that are assigned to David. Last week in chapter 22, we saw there was a psalm there written by David. It's actually, we discovered Psalm 18 that's been slightly edited. Today, the psalm that we are looking at, the psalm that Morgan read, is only found here in 2 Samuel chapter 23, but it is written, of course, by David, inspired by the Holy Spirit. You know, a person's last words are important words. I've, I've shared with you several times, the last time I saw and talked to my grandfather, he was a a leader in our church for many years and one of the most difficult conversations I've ever had we were on furlough and knew I would never see him again his, his health was failing he knew it it was a, a terrible ordeal but a, a sweet ordeal at the same time bittersweet but I remember those words that, that was shared last words are real important this is, this is David's swan song if you will Verse 1 indicates uh, it's the David's last words. Now, not last words in the sense that he spoke these words and then he died, never speaking another, but perhaps in a sense that these words were his last recorded words in the form of a song. But it's his swan song. I've got a, uh, a video to kind of uh, introduce this, speaking about famous last words. Take us a second to get this ready. Famous last words here. Uh, it says rat poison, not human poison. Hey, let's do that thing where you drive a car at me and I jump over it. Sure, I'll babysit your chimpanzee. Why wouldn't you be able to mix ammonia and bleach? 
Sharks don't attack people in t-shirts. I figured out a great way to heat the tent. We just hooked the car's exhaust up to it. We didn't wear helmets when I was a kid. We didn't have to wear seatbelts when I was a kid. We didn't have to cook pork to 160 degrees when I was a kid. The fire extinguisher's empty. Get the hairspray! Why else would they call them parachute pants? Okay. Famous last words. That's, um, those guys, they're funny. My kids and I, we sometimes uh, watch those guys. That don't adopt their theology. The theology is terrible, but they're, they're funny uh, for sure. Famous last words. Louis XIV, he noticed he, he was on his deathbed, and the attendants, his servants, he noticed them crying. And Louis XIV, he said, Why are you weeping? Did you imagine that I was immortal? Come on, you knew this was going to happen, right? Moses' swan song. Think about some leaders in the Bible. Moses, his swan song is Deuteronomy chapter 32 and 33. Joshua, what was his swan song, would you say? Chapter 24, he says, Choose this day whom you'll serve. But as for me, we're going to serve the Lord. Yeah, that's his swan song. But Paul, think about Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. There it is. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Pretty good swan song right there, huh? What about Jesus? What would be Jesus' swan song? Hmm? Yeah, it is finished. Good. On the cross. What's another possible? What about the Great Commission? Right? He told his disciples. Make, disciple, make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded them. And lo, I am with you always, right? And then he ascends into heaven. Or maybe Luke chapter 24, verse 45. Jesus appeared to disciples. He had opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then he tells his disciples, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Holy Spirit upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Yeah, maybe that could be... In, Jesus' swan song, but this is David's swan song. A couple things from our text today. First is, this is David. He's God's Old Testament Messiah, and this is going to be an epitaph for him. This is David's epitaph. Let me ask you, what do you want your kids and your grandkids to remember about you? If today was your last day, what would your kids and grandkids remember about you, your epitaph? Well, here in our text, the author, 2 Samuel, gives us an introduction, if you will, in this first verse. These are the last words of David. Notice he says, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of a man who was raised on high. Now, this isn't David's words. He says he's raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweetest or the sweet psalmist of Israel. This isn't David speaking these words. This is the author of 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying these words. Now, David was all that verse 1 claims him to be, but it's not David actually reminding us of the fact. But God spoke to David about what a righteous king should do how a righteous king should rule. God's king is the one who should rule over men righteously. It's this rule, this righteous rule, is the outgrowth of a healthy and appropriate fear of God. And David had that. 
pagan kings, they think primarily in terms of being over others, right? But God's king thinks in terms of being under God. We see, of course, our, the ultimate king, right? The king of kings, Jesus. He says this in John chapter 5, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And that's David's attitude here as he rules his people. What do we learn from his epitaph? Well, he's a, he's a man, son of Jesse. The first thing we see here is that he's chosen by God. Verse 1 says he's raised on high. He's anointed. Now think about David. Where was David when he was chosen? Yeah, he was in the field tending his, not his own business, but tending his daddy's business, right? Keeping the sheep. He was chosen not because he was trying to climb the corporate ladder, right? No, he was chosen just like we are chosen. He's chosen to lead the, the nation of Israel just like we're chosen for salvation, right? The Bible says we're chosen, we're elect, right? It wasn't something that we did on our own. We were chosen by God. Well, that's true of David. He wasn't looking to step on the guy ahead of him to get ahead. He's faithful. In fact, after he was chosen and anointed, what did he do? He faithfully served King Saul, humbly and faithfully. Samuel anointed him, and what were the results? He began to, to serve King Saul, and then there came victory after victory after lopsided victory as David was anointed by the Lord, obeying the Lord day in and day out. David was the Messiah, the chosen one of God. He was anointed. And as we've seen throughout these books, he was a, he was a good leader. A.W. Tozer said, never follow any leader until you see the oil on his forehead, right? The anointing of the Lord. And David was chosen by God. He was anointed. He was also a worshiper. He's called the sweet psalmist of Israel. When we think of David, what do you think of when you think of David? A lot of things maybe pop in your mind. Some of you may think of him as a warrior king. Some of you think of doing this, right? Taking out Goliath. He was a warrior king, but he was also a worshiper of the Lord. He was a songwriter. He was a musician who worshiped the Lord. He's a psalmist. His words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, have motivated us and helped us in worship of the Savior. I mean, think about it. How often do you run to the Psalms? And many of the Psalms were, were written by David. How many, how many times lately have you ran to the Psalms? I know Jenny, it's her favorite book. She has many verses, many of the Psalms memorized. But just think about it, Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That verse has been very near and dear to me. It's helped me in my worship of the Lord. Sometimes as a church on Wednesday night, I know many of you don't come on Wednesdays and participate in midweek Bible study, but we have prayer night and the adults will pray and sometimes we just turn to a psalm and we just pray the psalm as, as a church family together. David's words equipping us to worship, putting words to our worship. Psalm 63, 3, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify and praise you. Yeah, we, his words help us put our words 
our worship into words, right? Yeah, he's, a, he's chosen by God. He's a worshiper of God, and he's a prophet, a writer of scriptures. A little bit redundant, but look at verse, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. He wrote scripture. Jesus, right before he ascended, he said to his disciples about the Psalms, Luke 24, 45 through 40, 44 through 45, Jesus said to his disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The Psalms are a part of the scriptures. told you about my grandfather my last words to him and the scriptures were really important to him if you spent the night many of the grandkids he had 19 grandkids we spent the night over there a lot I, I spent the night over there quite a bit and at night and in the morning you had Bible reading time and he had those he had the King James versions and it was there's real thick Bibles because it was the large print right and um and so you would read the scriptures at night. He would give it to you if you were there, and he'd allow you to read it. And in the mornings, he would allow you to read it. And um, I was overseas when my grandfather passed away, and I, I did a little video for the, the funeral, but, but I wasn't able to be here. But my grandfather, when he was, it's like us, when you would wear out a Bible, what do you do? And the binding starts to, to come apart, and the pages fall out. You put it aside, and you get you another one. Well, I knew he had some, some of those Bibles, and I wasn't here, and so I didn't really have anything other than a couple shirts. You know, those little, he wore, I call them uh, Latino dress shirts that I wear sometimes. People will see that and say, that's a Daddy Carl shirt. And I was like, yeah, it is. I wear it proudly, right? Um, but I, I wanted one of his Bibles. And so I began to ask, hey, what happened to his Bibles, you know? And, and my Aunt Janice, she, had, uh, she got a couple of his Bibles, and she gave me one. And it's something I cherish. I have it at my home, and I, I cherish it. It's wonderful because the Scriptures were important to him, and they should be important to us. And David was a writer of Scripture. He was a psalmist. Also, verse 3, he's a just ruler. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. You remember when we began this study, Hunter, we said, God begins to, to, to deal with the nation of Israel a little differently than he did before. He didn't deal individually with the, with the, the, the Israelites. What he began to do is, is they asked for a king. God began to mediate his blessings through the king. And what I mean by this is as the king is obedient to the Lord, the Lord's going to bless that king. He's going to bless the people through the obedience of the king. But as, as the king disobeys the Lord curses come down through the king and affects the people. Think about it this way. Do you remember when the kingdom split, the northern and southern kingdoms? The northern kingdom, they were exiled in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. Why were they exiled so quickly and, and why were they exiled earlier than the southern kingdom? Now the southern kingdom, a couple year, hundred years later, were exiled by the Babylonians in 586. But why was the northern kingdom, why were they exiled so quickly? 
Students, you tell me? Because they didn't have a godly king. The northern kings, they're all pagan. They're all wicked. And what happens? God, as he mediates his blessings through the king to the people, if they're wicked, what happens? Cursings come to the people through the king. So that's what's happening with the monarchy, with David. But he rules justly. When he rules justly, what happens? God blesses the king and he blesses the people through the king. So that's how the blessings come. And, and he explains the blessings like the, morn, the, the morning light, the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning. We had a, we had a birthday party. This, um, I have four children. We had a birthday party, two of my girls. And so we had this uh, couple of girls over and CJ, my niece, comes over. And, um, and we have a big time. Big time, you know, good time for the girls. And so I get up in the morning real early, and so they get up. First one's up about 8, and then 8.30, 9. Well, after a little while, I'm on the front porch. And Jenny's like, what are you doing? It's like 25 degrees, you know. She's like, what are you doing on the front porch? I was like, you know, if it, it was girls, you know. So one's talking, and the other's talking, and then another's talking, and the other's talking. And they had a great time. They weren't doing anything wrong. But for me, I was just trying to read, and I said, i got to have some quiet. She said, it's like 25 degrees out here. I'm like, yeah, it's cool. But I had like layers, you know, and I'm tobogganing on and I'm out there with my Bible and my computer. But the sun, the sun, my, my, the, my front porch faced the east and that sun was coming up. And it was like, ah, oh, it just felt so good. You know, and I was able to study with some peace and quiet, right? Yeah, that sun hitting you on the face. Yeah, that's what he said. Man, that's what it's like when a king rules justly. It's like that morning sun hitting you. Oh, it's so comforting and, and, and wonderful, right? David ruled justly. He is impartial, right? Proverbs 29, too. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. When someone's not just, it's terrible for the people, isn't it? We see the emphasis in Scripture for, for the king to rule righteously. We see Proverbs 16, 10 through 12. An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. A just balance and scales are, are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. It is an abomination to kings to do evil, for the throne is established by righteousness. David was a just king. And because of that, the nation, when he ruled, the nation of Israel was blessed. By and large, he was a just king, right? He was also a covenantal king. Look at verse 5. For does my, house not, does my house stand so with God? In other words, he's saying, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. The neighbor down the street may not honor the Lord, but my house will. My neighbors may not honor the Lord, but we will here in my house. Continue on to verse 5. For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, right? The Davidic covenant. We've saw, we, we studied that in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Ordered in all things and secure. For he will not cause, for will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? Of course he's going to. He's going to bless David because that's what he promised to do, right? David wanted to build a house for the Lord. You remember that? He wanted to build the temple. And the Lord said, but 
I'm going to build a, a house for you instead. And the house not being a, a, a literal house, but he's going to have a dynasty. And, and part of that covenant included a descendant that would one day build a temple for the Lord. And we know that Solomon, his son, did. He would have a son on the throne forever, a continual dynasty. And the Messiah, the true Messiah, would come through David's descendants. He's a covenantal king. God made a promise to David. He'll have a descendant on the throne forever, the Messiah. And we know that to be King Jesus, don't we? And then lastly, about David, he's set apart, verse 6 and 7. Talks about these thorns. A king that is just and, and loves the Lord, rules righteously, is a blessing to his people. He has nothing to do with sin. Now that Again, we said last week, well, it always pops up. What about Bathsheba? But as a whole, what's his record? His record is one. Uh, it was just. Not, he's flawed, right? But he's just. But he's set apart. And David is, is flawed. We talked about that. There's a need for a king. And, and up to his sin with Bathsheba, he's doing everything right, and God is just blessing him and blessing him and blessing him. He's making all the right decisions, seeking the Lord, wanting to please the Lord, putting the Lord's will above his own. And then we get to Bathsheba, and it, it is a train wreck for a while, wasn't it? But what is David's life doing? It's pointing us to this Messiah that's going to come, King Jesus, right? Because King Jesus is not flawed. He's perfect. He rules justly and righteously. When the righteous king, Jesus, comes to rule the earth, his kingdom causes the righteous to flourish like rain and sun that causes the, the grass to sprout and to grow. But the wicked, they're not liking the grass or the flowers. They're compared to thorns because thorns, they're not valued, are they? Yeah, they're not harvested. They're just cut out and burned, right? Think about the message of the Bible. It's not a promise of salvation for everyone, is it? Where there's going to be eternal life for all men. No, it's the offer of salvation to, to all men. It's the offer to all men, right? But apart from divine intervention, the wicked, what, what's going to happen? They're going to reject this offer of salvation. And because they do, they're condemned to destruction by fire like the thorns. But this, this story about David and his rule, it's, it, it, at the beginning, we want to say he's a hero and want to put some emphasis on David, but then it goes south with Bathsheba, and we realize, no, that God's the hero. And what's he pointing us towards? Christ. Christ's the hero. David is a great king, but he's flawed. But King Jesus is going to come, and he's going to rule justly and righteously. This king who came and will come again, right? That's about David, his swan song. Now a little bit about his mighty men. Let's read in verse 8 real quickly. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, Bathsheba, a Tachimanite. 
He was a chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. All right, little, if you got boys in here, listen up. This is good stuff. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the son of Ohohi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for the battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. He rose, he struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines. You see that a lot. The men fled from the Philistines. But what did Shema do? He took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines. And the Lord worked a great victory. Verse 13. And three of the thirty chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adilam where a band of Philistines, when a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was at Bethlehem. So he's in a cave in a stronghold and his hometown is overrun and overtaken by the Philistines. And this is what David said. He says longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. He grew up drinking it from this well. He says, oh, what would be awesome to have a drink from this well. The three men heard it and what did they do? They broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried it and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord as an offering, right? And he said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Verse 18, and Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, the was chief of the 30 and he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name beside the three he was the most renowned of the 30 and became their commander but he did not attain to the three and Beniah the son of Jehoiadai was a valiant man of Kabzeel a doer of great deeds he struck down two aerials of Moab not sure what aerials are some people say they're animals like a, a lion tiger or something like that and some people think they're men soldiers enemy soldiers he also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian. This is, boys, listen up. He struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Beniah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the 30, but he did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. And then it goes to list on from verse 25 to the end of the chapter, other mighty men. There were 37 in all. Well, during the days of King David, let me tell you a little bit about the mighty men. During the, the, the rule of King David, 3,000 years ago, 1,000 years before Christ, Israel had no professional army. When there was a need, all those from 20, age, uh, 20 years old up to 50 years old, they would come running. They didn't have a draft. The nation was the army. But these mighty men, these 37, they're a little bit different. They were the 365, 24-7 soldiers, and they're mighty men. And they're not mighty men just because they're strong and powerful warriors, although they were. But they're mighty because they align themselves with David, God's anointed you remember why, why did Israel win victory after victory after victory after victory? Because God was with them. 
because God was with their leader. God mediated blessings through the leader to the people, right? These men stood with David before he was recognized as king. You remember he, he ran for his life from Saul for many, many years, decades, right? And these men were drawn to him. They knew he was the true king. And although it was difficult at times, these men served David through thick and through thin. David Livingstone, he's a pioneer missionary. He was in Africa. Some friends wrote to him, we would like to send other men to you. Have you found a good road into your area yet? And what David Livingstone would do, he would go into parts of Africa and he would build up a mission house and, and do work, win some people there, and then he would move on to another. So he, he received this letter and he wrote back, if you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. And that's what these men did. They came to, to David when there was no road at all. They supported him and they fought for him before he ever lived in a palace when he was on the run. You know, down through the ages, God, whenever God does a significant work, he, he always does it through a band of committed people. He doesn't work through the lukewarm, does he? He works through those who are fervent in their love for Christ and his kingdom. And that, this was the case when David's kingdom was established. Through David and his reign, the, the name of the Lord was renowned far and wide. But great as David was, it wasn't just because of David that this happened, that God's fame spread. He wasn't alone. He surrounded himself with a band of mighty men. They were the rangers, the seals, the green berets. They were the special ops, if you would, the delta force. A couple things about these men, and we'll close. They were loyal to the Messiah of God. Remember, this is Old Covenant, and the Messiah was David, right? They're loyal to the Messiah. They stood with David. They recognized him as king in verse 13 through 17. These three men, they heard David said they wished he had some water from this certain well. And what did they do? They risked their lives, fought to get to the well, and fought their way out. They fought in, they get the water, and they fight out. All to bring David what he wished. They did not do their own will. They did the will of the Messiah. These Mighty men were also divinely enabled. I mean, verse 8, Josheb, he killed 800 with a spear. That takes empowerment from the Lord, doesn't it? I mean, when you read these stories, it makes me think about Samson. You know, Samson did these incredible feats. He was a judge. And God, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him and he would do these incredible feats where he would kill all of these soldiers and he would give Israel victory. Single-handedly, he would give the nation victory. And you see that with these men. They are used by God. In verse 10 and 12, you see, the Lord brought about a great victory. The Lord used these men and brought about a great victory. They were divinely enabled. They're also very determined, resolute, if you will. Verse 9 and 10, he says, Eleazar, he stayed... 
and fought the Philistines. Look at verse 9. The, the men of Israel withdrew. You see that often. They withdrew. They ran. But what did Eliezer do? He rose. He stuck it out and he struck down the Philistine until his hand was tired. His hand was tired from, from holding and gripping the sword. We see that again with Shema in verse 11 and 12. They're very resolute. They're very courageous. When times are stacked against you, when it doesn't look like things are going to go well, what do they do? They, they, they were resolute and they attacked the Philistines. And he, it says he took his stand in a, if you will, a pea patch, right? There's lentils, it's beans, but pea patch sounds better, right? He took a stand in the pea patch when the odds were against him, and he, he struck down the Philistines and single-handedly defeated them, giving Israel the victory. They're also, when I read through this, I've read through it many times this week, you just see them, they're very proactive. And we've seen that since the very beginning. What, you say, well, what do you mean by proactive? They, weren't, they took the initiative. They didn't kick back and uh, let things just... Let nature take its course and let things work themselves out. And you know what, men? We do that a lot in the church. And most of us would have been glad just to leave well enough alone. And, but then what would he see? We see Benaiah. He kills these two aerials, whatever that is, and then he jumps down into a pit on a day it snows and he kills the lion possibly maybe it was a whale maybe it was their cistern and they had to get the lion out before they could get something to drink and what does he do he's proactive he takes the initiative and somebody's got to do it Reese it might as well be me that was their mentality boy don't we need that kind of thinking in the kingdom of God in the church today I'll say that about that men we need to be proactive Let's not sit back and wait on, wait on somebody else to do what needs to be done, right? I think sometimes we've done that in the church. We sit back, and, and then what ends up happening is a woman ends up doing it. We need mighty men who will meet opposition head on and get things done if things need to be done. Say that. I guess you could say that's part of application, I guess, men. Let's be men. Man up a little bit and... Let's get things done. Let's lead our families and do what needs to be done. Somebody needs to be rebuked. Well, let's do that. Let's not kick back and wait. Wait, somebody else will do it. Something needs to be fixed or repaired or word needs to be said. Let's do that. Let's be proactive. I guess this application will close it up. I, I don't know about you. I, I guess I could just ask, do you feel motivated at all? If you read through this, uh, this mighty man, it's pretty... Um, empowering see what these guys did so I guess just by way of application a couple of things number one of course David points us to Jesus all along he points us to Christ David fulfilled the Davidic covenant only partially right but Jesus Christ of Nazareth who lived died and lived again fulfills it completely and rightly these Mighty men, they were men of diverse backgrounds, but they were drawn together because they were attracted to this anointed man, this lamp of Israel, this worshiper of God, 
this warrior king. They were drawn to him. Think about Jesus. He had some mighty men too, didn't he? He had 12 that were from different backgrounds and they were loyal. They were resolute. They were willing to risk their lives for the Messiah. In fact, most of them died because of the Messiah. I even remember Peter. You remember when they came to arrest Jesus? He was kind of like one of these mighty men. He took off an ear of the high priest servant. You remember that? They were men you wanted to name your kids after. We'd name after these kids here. I mean, these mighty men here, but we can't pronounce their names, right? Can we, Morgan? <laughs> so, what do we do? What do we do? Hayden, we name our children John and James and Matthew, right? And Andrew. Yeah, these are men that we want to name our kids after. The church needs mighty men. Loyal, determined, proactive, resolute for the king's causes. We in the church, we're from various backgrounds, aren't we? Educationally, economically, racially. But we, too, are brought together because of an attraction we have to this warrior king, this savior king, King Jesus. He captured our hearts and we, we love them. And because of that, we, Sammy, we love one another. Despite our differences in background. These mighty men, they were loyal, focused on pleasing their king. The disciples, they were loyal resolute to share Christ's message. Church, we need to be resolute and determined to keep Christ the focus and to exalt Him and to give Him glory. We do that through the preaching of the Word and our small groups on Sunday morning and anytime we get together and teach. On Wednesday night we teach. Let's teach the Bible. Focusing on Jesus. We take the Lord's Supper, don't we, every month, the first Sunday. What does it do? It helps us focus our attention on the Savior, on Jesus. These mighty men, they were the body and David was the head and now we are the body, right? And Jesus, the King of Kings, is the head. These mighty men, they served David when the nation was yet to recognize him as king. Think about Jesus. Parallel there, isn't it? Similarities, Jesus, people didn't recognize him as the king, but yet his disciples were loyal to him. And even now as the church, some don't recognize Jesus as, as the king of kings, as the Lord of lords. In fact, the Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Just by way of application, let me ask you, have you bowed the knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Have you submitted and yielded yourself and your life to Him? You know, the mighty men, you know why they're mighty? Not just because they were good with a sword or a spear. They were mighty because they aligned themselves with the Messiah of the Old Testament, King David. 
have you aligned yourself with Jesus of Nazareth? That's the question today. The truth of the matter is that we're, we're needy people and we need, a, we need to align ourselves with, with Jesus because we're sinners. The Bible says we're, because of that, we're separated from the Lord. And if we're separated from the Lord and we breathe our last, then for all eternity we'll be separated from the Lord and he'll pour out his wrath upon us. And that'll be right because God is just. See, God must punish sin. And we're all sinners. And we all deserve his worst. But Jesus, he came and he lived a perfect life for us. He lived the life we must live and he died a death that we should die. But he rose on the third day and the Bible says that he rose so we could be justified. He appeared to his disciples and he ascended into heaven. He says, one day I'm coming back. And he is to judge sinners and to gather his church to himself. Have you aligned yourself with the King of Kings? Have you aligned yourself with King Jesus? I want to encourage you to do that. If you've yet to do that and you don't really understand exactly what it takes to do that, and maybe you have some questions, I would love to talk to you about that. I'd love to explain what it means to repent of your sin and to trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Grab me after the service. My number's in the worship guide. By way of application, if you've yet to repent, you need to repent today. And lastly, for the church, we see David, he was one man. But yet he replaced himself now he has 37 mighty men that can do what he could do. I was thinking about that. Jesus, he had his 12, and he even told the disciples, you'll do greater things than me. Now, how could he do greater things than Jesus? When, when John, the apostle, said, man, all the things that Jesus did, there's not enough books to record all that. Well, his ministry was got exponentially larger with the disciples. David, he multiplied himself with the mighty men. He empowered and equipped men to do what he could do. And I think we as brothers and sisters of Christ, we need to do that as well. The 2 Timothy 2.2 principle, right? Paul told Timothy, what I've taught you, you find faithful men and teach them, Right? And we need to do the same in the church. I mean, David killed a lion and a bear before he killed Goliath. And what do you see these men doing? They killed giants, but they also killed lions. Following in David's footsteps. A disciple is not greater than his master, is he? Yeah, we need to replace ourselves. And I'll ask you maybe as a as a believer, especially if you're a leader in the church, if you're a maturing believer, have you replaced yourself? Have you found another younger sister or brother in Christ and have you taught them what you've been taught? I think that Titus principle, you know, where the older teaches younger, man, that is a, that's a problem in the church because we don't do that as well as we should. The older teaching the younger, that's a, 
by way of application, something we can do as a church, ask yourself that. And even if you're not a part of our church, you know, maybe you're visiting or you've been here for a while and you're, but you're a, been a believer for a while. Have you replaced yourself? Have you, what you've learned from the Lord, have you given that to others? That's our application for today. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.